Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. I am Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge, and I'm very excited to have our guest, Lance Secretan, uh, joining us today. If you're not familiar with Lance and his work, he is a spiritual thought leader and the world's foremost authority on inspirational leadership. He's the author of not one, but actually 24 books about leadership, inspiration, corporate culture, and entrepreneurship. Um, He's just released his newest book called Reawakening the Human Spirit, which is the topic of today's conversation. And I'm very excited to dig in. So Lance, welcome to Conversations at the Edge. And where are you calling in from today? I'm in Ontario. It's great to be here, Alex. Nice to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. So Lance, I want to start, you know, you've written 23 books prior to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but just before we went live, you were telling me that this one kind of takes a different uh, different approach to leadership. So right. um, what makes this newest book different and how are you seeing leadership today? Well, I've always been very focused and keen about the spiritual side of life. But my main work has at the same time been about helping leaders run their companies. I used to run a Fortune 100 company myself, built it from nothing to 70,000 employees. So I know what it's like to be a CEO. And I've spent most of my life working with leaders of the very biggest companies in the country. And the work that we've done over those years, Alex, been very successful. Those companies have done really well. Um, Microsoft, Kaiser Permanente, Starbucks, Humana, these are the kinds of people I work with. And their executives have done well. And many of them I've coached. And the, most of, not all, but most of the people I've coached have retired as multimillionaires from those companies. That's the good news. The bad news is the rest of the staff didn't do so well. And they're still not doing well. <clears throat> as you've seen, the great resignation and all of the issues that are going on. So I wanted to address people because I think one of the big mistakes we've made in business is to treat it as a separate alien world. So for example, I can walk down the end of my driveway in my home and I can go up to a complete stranger that I've never met before in my life and tell them I love them. If I do that at work, I'll go to jail. That's ridiculous. What happened? How did we lose that? How did we lose the idea that we are human beings and that we should be able to love each other, inspire each other, collaborate, empathize, and serve each other? Not just one way at work and another way at home, but the same way everywhere. So this book is about people. It's the first book I've written, really, that's not about how to lead more effectively. It's about how to how to become inspired again, because we've lost it, and how to stay inspired and be inspiring for others, and then how to inspire the world. So in your book, um, you talk a little bit about a term that you coined spiritual poverty. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I'm curious, like what that means, and what's the impact of what you're calling spiritual poverty in the workplace. Well, the spiritual nature uh, of that phrase, I think, is about the non-material. So we think the answer to inspiring and motivating people, by which, by the way, we we mix up inspiration and motivation and confuse them. They're not the same, which we might get into later. But we think that we can do that with money, uh, with knickknacks and toys and benefits and, and uh, uh, you know, cafeterias and so on, foosball and all the rest of it. But that's really not what people are inspired by. And if you're watching closely, 
mostly what's happening right now is that people are gaining power which they never had before and people are saying come back to the office and they say no i've done this for three years it's working just fine i want to stay home thank you that is a spiritual gap because what management is doing is saying you need to do this and we're not listening if we listen to employees they'll say i can do that i can actually do it better where i am and i don't have to get in a car and i don't have to pay for gas and i don't have to get in fancy clothes to go to the office and so on so i prefer this so there's a good example of where we're completely lost at the moment. It will settle, and it will settle in the employee's favor. That's interesting. You know, one of the quotes that really kind of stood out to me in the book was, we treat humans as resources and people who buy our products and services as consumers, as if all these souls were merely production mechanisms. We are ruthless and competitive at work in ways that would be completely unacceptable at home. We've lost our humanity in corporate America and therefore our inspiration. So like I said, I mean, that's, that's a pretty powerful statement. And I would yeah. love for you to maybe expand on that and share, you oh. know, where that comes from and, and where to go from, from here. It says it all, doesn't it? I mean, I just read a survey this morning from Corn Ferry that says that 60% of people um, who were forced to go back to work suffered from, from new depression. Okay, so let's just pause the video here for a second. Why would management deliberately cause people to do something which causes them to be depressed and therefore lowers their performance? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you address not the function, not that I need you to be here because I don't trust you, because I need to watch you to make sure you're working, and change that to how can I inspire you? What would work for you? And the one-size-fits-all approach, Alex, is not working. We can't say everybody comes back to work or we need people back on Tuesday and Friday or three days a week or whatever it is. We, these are not recipes for individual inspiration. I need to be able to say to you, Alex, what would work for you? We'll build that for you. This is the job and we can make it work any which way. This is modern times. This is technology. We can do it. We know how to do this. It's not a, a problem of you having to come back to work. This is the gap, really, that's happening. And we've lost our souls in that sense because we're not relating to people, the consumers. Thank you. So there's another quote from your book that talks about the importance of inspiration versus motivation. I, I want to kind of go in that direction. Mm -hmm. The quote says, opportunity may knock once, but passion leans on the doorbell. And so how do you create that kind of passion when well, even with a, a company of a hundred, you know, it's still yeah. fairly large. Is that, is that attainable um, in beyond the, the leadership team, I guess is, is the question. Well, I think that uh, our conversation is, is skewing towards the leadership role and responsibility. But the way I look at it, Alex, is that we're all leaders. We're leaders from the get go. Like when we're born, we get hungry. We're like four minutes old and we're hungry. Well, what do we do? We yell. That's called leadership. I mean, it's primitive and we haven't learned how to speak English yet, but that's leadership. That gets other people to do things. We never stop being a leader. We're a leader in the schoolyard when, when somebody's taking a leadership role in your marriage with your spouse. Sometimes you're the leader, sometimes your wife is. It, it changes. So we're leaders everywhere. And now that's I think what's so, so important now, what have we been doing? What have we learned? Pavlov started all this. 
amongst others, B.F. Skinner and so on. But the behavioral scientists who basically discovered if you, if you ring a bell, the dog salivates, and so it's a cause and effect. All right, think about the way we work these days. Motivation is a fear-based system. It, it's COVID was a great example of that. COVID, we're going to frighten you to take the, the shot. They didn't inspire us, they frightened us. And you know, the whole journey around uh, fear is prevalent across the whole system. Marketing, buy my product or you'll be on me. Politics, vote for me or the bad guys, I'll get you. Religion, join my religion or you'll go to hell. Academia, pass my exam or I'll fail you. Business, do what I say or I'll fire you. Parenting, do what I say or I'll punish you. I mean, there's no end to this. It's all about fear and, and punishment and reward and motivation. It works for the short term, but we're exhausted, absolutely exhausted from being motivated with fear. What we actually need is something quite different, which is inspiration. And by the way, we don't need leadership either. I don't know about you, but I don't need somebody showing up and telling me I'm your leader, I'm gonna show you the way. Bullshit, this is not my first rodeo. I don't need that. I wanna be inspired. I'll do anything if you inspire me. So now the question is, well, what is inspiration? Why is it different from motivation? Because we usually say them in the same sentence. I want to be motivated and inspired. They're not the same because inspiration comes from love, not fear. When I'm inspired, it's because I love something or you or the outcome. I smell a rose because it inspires me. You fell in love with your wife because she inspired you. People show up for this podcast, hopefully, because they're inspired. And They'll come back if they're inspired and they won't if they're not. It's as simple as that. We go to work for companies that inspire us and we leave when they don't inspire us anymore. We love leaders who inspire us. In fact, if they don't, we're gone. So the story here is about everything we've learned about leadership is based on fear-based motivation. Think about human resource policies. It's all about punishment or reward. If you do this, you get promotion, you get a bonus, you hit your quotas, you get to, you get to take a holiday in Hawaii and so on. If you don't, you're in trouble. And if you don't two quarters in a row, you'll get fired. That's motivation. But if somebody comes to you and says, Alex, what's your dream? What do you dream for in life? And you say, well, I'd like to uh, uh, take my kids to Disney. Okay, I'm your leader. My job is to help you do that. Your job is to get the job done, and my job is to help you. But my job is also to help you achieve your dreams. That's why you work here. So when it comes to inspiration in the workplace and inspiring employees at all levels, you're saying it not, it not necessarily has to be the mission that's inspiring. It has to be a leader who's inspiring. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, yes, uh, excepting I would take issue with the word mission, too, because, you know, you, if you know my work, it's very criteria, and I think a lot of things we're doing are broken. And frankly, if I look at corporate America today, I think it's in terrible shape. I just think it needs a makeover, you know, right now in a lot of places. So I don't think it's about the mission, because I think that's what's also gone wrong in business. We need a dream, Alex. Great things that have happened in history have been achieved through a dream. I want to know what is Starbucks' dream, and they have one. Do you know what it is? Being the third place? Yes, that's right. And the very few people know that. To create the third place, that's the dream of Starbucks. Not to be the biggest coffee shop in the world, not to be coast-to-coast, -coast, multi-billion, blah, 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 all that stuff. It's to be the third place because when he went to Italy, he noticed in Italy people have three places in their lives, work, home, 
and the third place, which in their case was a cafe or bistro. Same in France, same in England, home, work, and the pub. And then he came back to America and said, what? We don't have a third place. That's my dream, to create the third place. Well, look what's happened to Starbucks. And I can tell you many stories. Microsoft has a dream. Humana has a dream. The city of Louisville has a dream. The dreams that we've created for companies all over the world and cities and so on, uh, it's transformed them. And people will tell you that. As soon as we got a dream, everything changed. Because you only have one of those, right? I mean, if I give you a case study, when I worked with Humana, which I've worked for over a decade with them, uh, when I first, I had an early meeting with them, I said, could you please fill up a room for me with all the taglines, advertising, mottos, uh, et cetera, and all the themes you use. And they covered wall after wall around room, everything you could think of. They had 42 different marketing companies working for them. And I said, look, let's just tear all this away. This is confusing. We want one thing, a dream. And that consolidated a whole organization, which, by the way, then had 15,000 employees and today has about 80,000. Thank you for sharing that. So it, do you feel that it is, it is the dream that needs to be inspiring the people? Or can people be inspired without a dream in an organization, just with leaders who are, in fact, inspiring the individual's dream? No, we need a dream. Okay. Yeah, we need a dream. We all need. I don't mean necessarily a corporate dream. We need that too, but, but we need a dream. You, you need a dream. I need a dream. I need to get up in the morning and know I've got something important to do in my life. I'm not going to live with a mission statement. A lot mission statement, by the way, and accountability and a lot of those other things. Uh, if, you, if you do the research, another book I wrote called The Bellwether Effect, it studies how do we get to use all this language, performance appraisals, engagement surveys, all those kinds of things. They came from the military. We simply imported a military model of how well they do things from West Point and shoved it into the corporate world. So we ended up with performance appraisals, the most reviable thing you can possibly do in a business setting and totally, totally unproductive, wounding, hurtful, and wasteful. And where, why do we do that? Because everybody else does, that's why. Well, where did it come from? It came from the military, from the Air Force, when the Second World War, when we were looking for pilots because we, we, we recruited 22-year-old young men put them in the pilot seat, off they went and died. So then we had to get another one. Well, we didn't know how to do that. How do you find a 22-year-old, the competent flyer? Because he hasn't had training yet, we don't know. Well, that's why they use performance appraisals. Well, what's that got to do with running a company? So in your book, um, you talk about this idea of the spark, the flame, and the torch to ignite inspiration in an organization. Can you talk to us about, about those ideas? Yes, it's, it's, the subtitle of the book is, is Finding the Spark, the Flame, and the Torch Within. And the spark, the, the myth that we teach, Alex, is that as a leader, we need to be inspiring. That's our job, which is fine in theory, but we can't give what we don't have. If you're empty, it's very hard to be inspiring. So we have to start in a more practical place, which is, well, let's become inspired first. And there are some steps in that. That we call the spark. That starts everything. And the spark is three things. One, the dream, what we've talked about. Second is removing violent language from our vocabulary. You'd be amazed at that, why and how important that is. I could say, for example, I would kill for your hair, Alex. I'm a big envious of your hair. I would kill for the hair. But actually, I don't mean that. I would not kill you. 
It's not in me. And when you hear the word kill, a whole series of biochemicals flow through your body and cause stress. You don't know why, and you don't even know what's happening, but you don't feel right. That's what we're doing to each other when we communicate. We effectively are actually manipulating the biochemistry in the other person. And the third thing in the spark is about understanding why we're here, how we're going to be while we're here, and what we're going to do with our lives. If you're going through life sleepwalking and you don't know why you're here or what you're doing or what your calling is or what the values are that you stand for, you're lost. And how can you be inspiring if you don't know those things? So when we fill it up, you know, when we're, we're our tanks are full, that I know why I'm here. Gandhi knew why he was here. Jefferson, Thomas, Tom, um, just, you know, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, all had a clear idea of why they were here, what they were supposed to be doing with our planet. And it made them inspiring. And I often say to people, by the way, if the Dalai Lama walked into, I'm not sure about Dalai Lama would be the right pick today, but when the Dalai Lama walked in a room and sat in a corner for 15 minutes and didn't say anything, and then left, we'd be inspired. Because of who he is, what he stands for, why he's here, what he's doing in the world. He didn't need to say anything. That's inspiring leadership. Yeah. When you're thinking about the spark, you're saying it starts within you. I have to be inspired by my, you know, right. I have to inspire myself. Right. I'm not looking for inspiration externally. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Please continue. Uh, yes, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, I, I can do it for a while. I'm paid to do that. That's my job. I can do it. But I get tired. And I'm not as effective if I'm empty. If I'm having a really crappy day, and I feel totally drained and empty, and I come and try and inspire you, how good do you think I'll be at doing that? But if I've just had an amazing day and be inspired by all kinds of other people, and then I sit down with you, it's just, it's gonna flow out of me to you. You're gonna be inspired. So we have to start with ourselves. Now, once we've got to that place and our, our tanks are full as it were, now we do something that's quite interesting. We inspire other people. And how do we do that? Well, we did some research some years ago and said, what's, why, what do we not like about people? And here's what they said. Don't like cowards. Don't like phony people. Don't like people who are selfish, self-serving. Don't like liars. Don't like people who rule with fear. And we don't like idiots. Incompetent people. Six things. So we said, well, then let's do the opposite. And the opposite is courage, authenticity, service, truthfulness, love, and effectiveness. Call the castle principles. I, a very good friend of mine, I was on her podcast the other day, uh, Marion Williamson. She's running for president, as you know, and uh, she was talking with me and I, we've been old friends for a long time. Years ago, I was visiting her, stayed overnight uh, with my wife and we were having dinner. And I said, Marion, I'm so excited. I've got this whole idea I'm working on called Castle Principles. And uh, it's an acronym. Let me tell you what it stands for. And she said, just a minute, stop. Let me guess. Courage, authenticity, service, truthfulness, love and energy. And my, I just dropped my mouth. I was amazed. How do you do that? Because energy is not what I came up with. Effectiveness is what I came up with, but energy is okay. But you got all the others. How do you do that? She said, well, I know your work, so it's a bit of a shortcut for me. I can do that. But more important, this is what the great wisdom that she shared with me. There's nothing new to learn. This is in us already. We were born courageous. We were born loving. We learned fear, but the baby doesn't have no fear. That doesn't happen. 
for a baby. We learn that. And we get very good at that. And we get banged around so much, we get better and better at it and worse and worse at being loving. But that's where we started. So what's happened in our lives is we've forgotten a whole bunch of things, how to be courageous, how to be authentic, how to serve others, how to tell the truth, how to be loving and how to be effective. When we do those six things, Alex, we inspire others because we love people who are courageous. We love authentic people. We love people who serve others. We love people who tell the truth. We love people who are loving. We love people who are effective. Now, just take a snapshot. We could pick any place in the world, but imagine politics right now. Imagine if politicians were courageous, authentic, served others, told the truth, were loving, and effective. I mean, this is like a million miles from where we are, right? That's it's funny we that we're laughing about that, yeah. Sad, sad, truly yeah, sad. sad. But you yeah. can see it's so logical. It's not complicated. We just need to do these six things. It's not easy. I didn't say that, but it's not complicated. So how about the torch? Well, the torch, then we practice the castle principles. That's that's the flame. Then once we we're, we have an inspired group of people that will work family, your, your, your school community or your, your uh, church or whatever, and then we start to inspire the world. How do we do that? Normally, there's lots of ways, of course, but two big ways is to coach other people, mentor, coach, teach, you know, and so on, and lead. Those two things. If we lead others and teach and coach and mentor, we grow other people and therefore change the world. Now, how do we do that? That's a bit complicated. That, that's a quite a technical part of the book, but uh, essentially there are three things we do. Mastery, chemistry, and delivery. That's all we do in our lives. You think about anything you do, it's either got to do with mastery, some skill, or you know, it, that could be screwing a light bulb, tying your shoelaces, it doesn't matter what it is, it requires some mastery. And living and running a company and being a spouse and parenting and running a bank accounts and what it all requires mastery. Secondly, chemistry, relating with people. And thirdly, delivery, meeting the needs of others. Those are the three things that change the world. Now, we don't wake up in the morning to say, oh, okay, I'm going to be more masterful now. Something has to happen before we get there. And that something is called an accelerator because it accelerates the first three I mentioned. The accelerator for mastery is learning. The more I learn, the more mastery. The accelerator for chemistry is empathy. The more I empathize, the stronger my relationships with other people. And delivery, the accelerator for that is listening. The more I listen, the better I am able to meet the needs of other people. If I can do those three things, I can change the world. Fantastic. Well, Lance, this has been a very inspirational conversation. And I just want to give you one more opportunity before we head off today. If there's one thing you want leaders listening to today's episode to leave knowing or thinking about or considering uh, as they go back to the rest of their days, what would that be? I would, uh, I, I think there's a hundred things, unfortunately. So one, <laughs> would be, <laughs> but one thing I think in the spur of the moment that I would think about is this, you know, we say in business, let's have a market and let's have a meeting with the marketing department. We don't say let's have a meeting with Fred, George, Susan, and Nancy. Like they're not people, they're function, they're a department. So we strip the humanity out of the conversation. What we need to do is stop doing that and start talking to you as a human being that is unique. You're not part of a department necessarily. You could be anywhere, by the way, and in a really well-run business, 
that functional title wouldn't mean anything. You might be responsible for marketing, but you might have a really good gift for analytical skills, in which case I'd want you to look at contracts before I sign you. You know, so I want to play to your strengths. I, it's not the function, it's who you are. And so the one big thing I think we need to understand is how do we make people whole again? And how do we become inspired? Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.